4. The Knowledge of God The Lord is a God of knowledge, and by Him actions are weighed. 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 3 Glorious things are spoken of God. He transcends our thoughts and the praises of angels. God's glory lies chiefly in His attributes, which are the several beams by which the divine nature shines forth. Among other of His orient excellencies, this is not the least. The Lord is a God of knowledge, or, as the Hebrew word is, a God of knowledges. Through the bright mirror of His own essence, He has a full idea and cognizance of all things. The world is to Him a transparent body. He makes a heart anatomy. Revelations chapter 2 verse 23. I am He which searcheth the reins and the heart. The clouds are no canopy. The night is no curtain to draw between us and His sight. Psalms 139 verse 12. The darkness hideth not from thee. There is not a word we whisper, but God hears it. Psalms 139 verse 4. There is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. There is not the most subtle thought that comes into our mind, but God perceives it. Isaiah chapter 66 verse 18. I know their thoughts. Thoughts speak as loud in God's ears as words do in ours. All our actions, though never so subtly contrived and secretly conveyed, are visible to the eye of omniscience. Isaiah chapter 66, verse 18. I know their works. Achan hid the Babylonish garment in the earth, but God brought it to light. Joshua chapter 7, verse 21. Minerva was drawn in such curious colors, and so lively penciled, that which way soever one turned, Minerva's eyes were upon him. So, which way soever we turn ourselves, God's eye is upon us. Job chapter 37, verse 16. Dost thou know the balancing of the clouds, the wondrous works of him that is perfect in knowledge? God knows whatever is knowable. He knows future contingencies. He foretold Israel's coming out of Babylon, and the virgin's conceiving. By this the Lord proves the truth of his Godhead against idol gods. Isaiah chapter 41, verse 23. Shew the things that are to come hereafter, that we may know ye are gods. The perfection of God's knowledge is primary. He is the original, the pattern, the prototype of all knowledge. Others borrow their knowledge of Him. The angels light their lamps at this glorious sun. God's knowledge is pure. It is not contaminated with the object. Though God knows sin, yet it is to hate and punish it. No evil can mix or incorporate with His knowledge any more than the sun can be defiled with the vapors which arise from the earth. God's knowledge is facile. It is without any difficulty. We study and search for knowledge. Proverbs 2, verse 4. If thou seekest for her as for silver, the lamp of God's knowledge is so infinitely bright that all things are intelligible to him. God's knowledge is infallible. There is no mistake in his knowledge. Human knowledge is subject to error. A physician may mistake the cause of a disease, but God's knowledge is unerring. He can neither deceive nor be deceived. He cannot deceive because he is truth nor can be deceived, because he is wisdom. 
God's knowledge is instantaneous. Our knowledge is successive, one thing after another. We argue from the effect to the cause. God knows things past, present, and to come. Uno intuitu, at once. They are all before him, in one entire prospect. God's knowledge is retentive. He never loses any of his knowledge. He has reminiscentia as well as intelligentsia. He remembers as well as understands. Many things elapse out of our minds, but God's knowledge is eternized. Things transacted a thousand years ago are as fresh to him as if they were done but the last minute. He is perfect in knowledge. But is it not said, Genesis chapter 18, verse 21, I will go down and see whether they have done according to the cry which is come up unto me, and I will know? It could not be that God was ignorant, because there is mention made of a cry. But the Lord speaks there after the manner of a judge, who will first examine the cause before he passes the sentence. When he is upon a work of justice, he is not in a riot, as if he did not care where he hits, but he goes straight against offenders. He lays judgment to the line, and righteousness to the plummet. Isaiah chapter 28, verse 17. Hosea chapter 13, verse 12. The iniquity of Ephraim is bound up, his sin is hid. Not that his sin is hid from God, but his sin is hid, that is, it is recorded, it is laid up against a day of reckoning. That this is the meaning is clear by the foregoing words, his iniquity is bound up. As the clerk of the assizes binds up the indictments of malefactors in a bundle, and at the assizes brings out the indictments and reads them in court, so God binds up men's sins in a bundle, and at the day of judgment this bundle shall be opened, and all our sins brought to light before men and angels. God is infinite in knowledge. He cannot but be so, for he who gives being to things must needs have a clear inspection of them. Psalms 94, verse 9. He that planted the ear, shall he not hear? He that formed the eye, shall he not see? He who makes a watch or engine knows all the workmanship in it. God that made the heart knows all its movements. He is full of eyes, like Ezekiel's wheels, and, as Austin says, totus oculus, all eye. It ought to be so, for he is to be judge of all the world. Genesis chapter 18, verse 25. There are so many causes to be brought before him, and so many purposes to be tried, that he must have a perfect knowledge, or he could not do justice. An ordinary judge cannot proceed without a jury. The jury must search the cause and give in the verdict, but God can judge without a jury. He knows all things in and of himself, and needs no witnesses to inform him. A judge judges only matters of fact, but God judges the heart. He not only judges wicked actions, but wicked designs. He sees the treason of the heart and punishes it. Use 1. Is God infinite in knowledge? Is he light, and in him is there no darkness? Then how unlike are they to God who are darkness, and in whom is no light, who are destitute of knowledge, such as the Indians who never heard of God? And are there not many among us who are no better than baptized heathens?
who need to seek the first principles of the oracles of God. It is sad that after the sun of the gospel has shined so long in our horizon, to this day the veil should be upon their heart. Such as are enveloped in ignorance cannot give God a reasonable service. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Ignorance is the nurse of impiety. The schoolmen say, Omne peccatum fundator in ignorantia. Every sin is founded upon ignorance. Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 3. They proceed from evil to evil, and know not me, saith the Lord. Where ignorance reigns in the understanding, lust rages in the affections. Proverbs 19, verse 2. That the mind be without knowledge, it is not good. Such have neither faith nor fear. No faith, for knowledge carries the torch before faith. Psalms 9, verse 10. They that know thy name shall put their trust in thee. A man can no more believe without knowledge than the eye can see without light. He can have no fear of God, for how can they fear him who they do not know? The covering of Haman's face was a sad presage of death. When people's minds are covered with ignorance, it is a covering of the face that is a fatal forerunner of destruction. Use 2. If God be a God of knowledge, then see the folly of hypocrisy. Hypocrites do not vertute miasere, but fingere. Hypocrites do not actually do good, they merely make a show of it. Melanchthon. They carry it fair with men, but care not how bad their hearts are. They live in secret sin. Psalms 73, verse 11. They say, How doth God know? Psalms 10, verse 2. God has forgotten, he hideth his face, he will never see it. But, Psalms 147, verse 5, his understanding is infinite. He has a window to look into men's breasts, he has a key for the heart. He beholds all the sinful workings of men's spirits, as in a glass hive we can see the bees working in their combs. Matthew chapter 6, verse 4. He sees in secret. As a merchant enters debts in his book, so God has his day-book, in which he enters every sin. Jeroboam's wife disguised herself that the prophet should not know her, but he discerned her. 1 Kings chapter 14, verse 6. Why feignest thou thyself to be another? The hypocrite thinks to prevaricate and juggle with God, but God will unmask him. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 14. God shall bring every work into judgment with every sacred thing. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 23. They have committed villainy in Israel, even I know, and am a witness, saith the Lord. Ay, but the hypocrite hopes he shall color over his sin and make it look very specious. Absalom masks over his treason with the pretense of a religious vow. Judas dissembles his envy at Christ and covetousness with the pretense of charity to the poor. John chapter 12 verse 5. Jehu makes religion a stirrup to his ambitious design. 2 Kings chapter 10 verse 16. But God sees through these fig leaves. You may see a jade under his guilt trappings. Jeremiah chapter 16 verse 17. Their iniquities are not hid from mine eyes. He that has an eye to see will find a hand to punish. Use 3. Is God so infinite in knowledge? Then we should always feel as under his omniscient eye. Sic vivendum est taquum in conspectu. Hence we ought to live as if always in full view. Seneca. Let us set David's prospect before our eye. 
Psalm 16, verse 8, I have set the Lord always before me. Seneca counseled Lucilius that whatever he was doing, he should imagine that some of the Roman worthies stood before him, and then he would do nothing dishonorable. The consideration of God's omniscience would be preventive of much sin. The eye of man will restrain from sin, and will not God's eyes much more? Esther, chapter 7, verse 8. Then said the king, Will he force the queen also before me? Will we sin when our judge looks on? Would men speak so vainly if they considered God overheard them? Latimer took heed to every word in his examination, when he heard the pen go behind the hangings. So, what care would persons have of their words if they remembered God heard and the pen is going on in heaven? Would men go after strange flesh if they believed God was a spectator to their wickedness and would make them do penance in hell for it? Would they defraud in their dealings and use false weights if they thought God saw them and for making their weights lighter would make their damnation heavier? Viewing ourselves as under the eye of God's omniscience would cause reverence in the worship of God. God sees the frame and carriage of our hearts when we come before Him. How would this call in our straggling thoughts? How would it animate and spirit duty? It would make us put fire to the incense. Acts chapter 26 verse 7. The tribes instantly served God day and night, omnibus veribus, with the utmost zeal and intenseness of spirit. To think God is in this place would add wings to prayer and oil to the flame of our devotion. Use 4. Is God's knowledge infinite? Study sincerity, be what you seem. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7. The Lord looketh upon the heart. Men judge the heart by the actions. God judges the actions by the heart. If the heart be sincere, God will see the faith and bear with the failing. Asa had his blemishes, but his heart was right with God. Second Chronicles chapter 15, verse 17. God saw his sincerity and pardoned his infirmity. Sincerity in a Christian is like chastity in a wife, which excuses many failings. Sincerity makes our duties acceptable like musk among linen that perfumes it. As Jehu said to Jehonadad, 2 Kings chapter 10, verse 15, Is thy heart right with me? And he said, It is. If it be, said he, give me thy hand. And he took him up into the chariot. So if God sees our heart is right, that we love him and design his glory, now, says he, give me your prayers and tears. Now you shall come up with me into the chariot of glory. Sincerity makes our services to be golden and God will not cast away the gold, though it may want some weight. Is God omniscient, and his eye chiefly upon the heart? Wear the girdle of truth about you, and never leave it off. Use 5. Is God a God of infinite knowledge? Then there is comfort, 1. To the saints in particular, 2. To the church in general. 1. To saints in particular, in case of private devotion, Christian, thou settest hours apart for God. Thy thoughts run upon him as thy treasure. God takes notice of every good thought. Malachi, chapter 3, verse 16. He had a book of remembrance written for them that thought upon his name. Thou enterest into thy closet and prayest to thy father in secret. He hears every sigh and groan. Psalms 38, verse 9. My groaning is not hid from thee. Thou waterest the seed of thy prayer with tears. God bottles every tear. Psalms 56, verse 8. 
Put thou my tears into thy bottle. When the secrets of all hearts shall be opened, God will make an honorable mention of the zeal and devotion of his people, and he himself will be the herald of their praises. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5. Then shall every man have praise of God. The infiniteness of God's knowledge is a comfort, in case the saints have not a clear knowledge of themselves. They find so much corruption that they judge they have no grace. Genesis chapter 25, verse 22. If it be so, why am I thus? If I have grace, why is my heart so dead and earthly a frame? Oh, remember, God is of infinite knowledge. He can spy grace where thou canst not. He can see grace hid under corruption, as the stars may be hid under a cloud. God can see that holiness in thee, which thou canst not discern in thyself. He can spy the flower of grace in thee, though overtopped with weeds. 1 Kings chapter 14, verse 13. Because there is in him some good thing. God sees some good thing in his people, when they can see no good in themselves, and though they judge themselves, he will give them an absolution. It is comfort in respect of personal injuries. It is the saint's lot to suffer. The head being crowned with thorns, the feet must not tread upon roses. If saints find a real purgatory, it is in this life, but this is their comfort that God sees what wrong is done to them. The apple of his eye is touched, and is he not sensible of it? Paul was scourged by cruel hands. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 25. Thrice was I beaten with rods, as if you should see a scullion whip the king's son. God beholds it. Exodus chapter 3, verse 7. I know their sorrows. The wicked make wounds in the backs of the saints, and then pour in vinegar but God writes down their cruelty. Believers are a part of Christ's mystical body, and for every drop of a saint's blood spilt, God puts a drop of wrath in his vial. 2. Comfort to the church of God in general. If God be a God of knowledge, he sees all the plots of the enemies against Zion and can make them prove abortive. The wicked are subtle. Having borrowed their skill from the old serpent, they dig deep to hide their counsel from God, but he sees them and can easily counterwork them. The dragon is described with seven heads in Revelations 12, chapter 3, to show how he plots against the church. But God is described with seven eyes in Zechariah chapter 3, verse 9, to show that he sees all the plots and stratagems of the enemies, and when they deal proudly, he can be above them. Come, says Pharaoh, let us deal wisely. Exodus chapter 1, verse 10. But he never played the fool more than when he thought to deal wisely. Exodus chapter 14, verse 24. In the morning watch the Lord looked to the host of the Egyptians by the pillar of fire, and troubled the host. How may this, like sap in the vine, comfort the church of God in her militant state? The Lord has an eye in all the counsels and combinations of the enemy. He sees them in their train, and can blow them up in their own mine. 5. The Eternity of God. The next attribute is, God is eternal. Psalms 90, verse 2. From everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. The schoolmen distinguish between Ivan et Aeternum, to explain the notion of eternity. There is a threefold being. One, such as had a beginning, and shall have an end, as all sensitive creatures, the beasts, fowls, fishes, which at death are destroyed and return to dust, their being ends with their life. Two, such as had a beginning, but shall have no end, 
as angels and the souls of men, which are eternal, a parte post. They abide forever. 3. Such as is without beginning and without ending, and that is proper only to God. He is semper existens, from everlasting to everlasting. This is God's title, a jewel of His crown. He is called the King Eternal. First Epistle to Timothy, chapter 1, verse 17. Jehovah is a word that properly sets forth God's eternity, a word so dreadful that the Jews trembled to name or read it and used Adonai, Lord, in its place. Jehovah contains in it time past, present, and to come. Revelations chapter 1, verse 8, which is, and which was, and which is to come, interprets the word Jehovah, which is, he subsists of himself, having a pure and independent being, which was. God only was before time, there is no searching into the records of eternity, which is to come. His kingdom has no end, his crown no successors. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 8. Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. The doubling of the word ratifies the certainty of it, as the doubling of Pharaoh's dream. I shall prove that God could only be eternal without beginning. Angels could not. They are but creatures, though spirits. They were made, and therefore their beginning may be known, their antiquity may be searched into. If you ask, when were they created? Some think before the world was, but not so. For what was before time was eternal. The first origin of angels reaches no higher than the beginning of the world. It is thought by the learned that the angels were made on the day in which the heavens were made. Job chapter 38, verse 7. When the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy. St. Jerome, Gregory. And Venerable Bede understood it, that when God laid the foundation stone of the world, the angels, being then created, sang anthems of joy and praise. It is proper to God only to be eternal, without beginning. He is Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. Revelations chapter 1, verse 8. No creature can write itself Alpha that is only a flower in the crown of heaven. Exodus chapter 3, verse 14. I am that I am, that is, he who exists from and to eternity. Use 1. Here is thunder and lightning to the wicked. God is eternal, and therefore the torments of the wicked are eternal. God lives forever, and as long as God lives he will be punishing the damned. This should be as the handwriting upon the wall. It should make our joints to be loosed, etc. Daniel chapter 5, verse 6. The sinner takes liberty to sin, he breaks God's laws, like a wild beast that breaks over the hedge and leaps into forbidden pastures. He sins with greediness, as if he thought he could not sin fast enough. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 19. But remember, one of God's names is eternal, and as long as God is eternal, he has time enough to reckon with all his enemies. To make sinners tremble, let them think of these three things. The torments of the damned are without intermission, without mixture, and eternal. 1. Without intermission. Their pains shall be acute and sharp, and no relaxation. The fire shall not be slackened or abated. Revelations chapter 14, verse 11. They have no rest, day nor night, like one that has his joints stretched continually on the rack, and has no ease. The wrath of God is compared to a stream of brimstone. Isaiah chapter 30, verse 33. Why to a stream? 
because a stream runs without intermission, so God's wrath runs like a stream and pours out without intermission. In the pains of this life, there is some abatement and intermission. The fever abates. After a fit of the stone, the patient has some ease, but the pains of hell are intense and violent, in sumo gradu. The damned soul never says, I am now more at ease. 2. Without mixture. Hell is a place of pure justice. In this life God in anger remembers mercy. He mixes compassion with suffering. Deuteronomy chapter 33 verse 25. Asher's shoe was of iron, but his foot was dipped in oil. Affliction is the iron shoe, but mercy is mixed with it. The foot is dipped in oil. But the torments of the damned have no mixture. Revelations chapter 14 verse 10. They shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture. No mixture of mercy. How is the cup of wrath said to be full of mixture? Psalms 75 verse 8. For in the hand of the Lord there is a cup, and the wine is red. It is full of mixture, and he poureth out of the same, but the dregs thereof, all the wicked of the earth shall wring them out and drink them. Yet in the revelation it is said to be without mixture. It is full of mixture, that is, it is full of all the ingredients that make it bitter, the worm, the fire, the curse of God, all these are bitter ingredients. It is a cup mixed, yet it is without mixture, there shall be nothing to afford the least comfort, no mixture of mercy, and so without mixture. In the sacrifice of jealousy, Numbers chapter 5, verse 15, no oil was put to it. So, in the torments of the damned, there is no oil of mercy to abate their sufferings. 3. Without cessation, eternal. The pleasures of sin are but for a season, but the torments of the wicked are forever. Sinners have a short feast, but a long reckoning. Oregon erroneously thought that after a thousand years the damned should be released out of their misery, but the worm, the fire, the prison are all eternal. Revelations chapter 14 verse 11. The smoke of their torment ascendeth forever and ever. Hoenai Gehenalis puniunt non finiunt. The torments of hell keep on punishing, they never end. Prosper. Eternity is a sea without bottom and banks. After millions of years, there is not one minute in eternity wasted, and the damned must be ever burning, but never consuming, always dying, but never dead. Revelations chapter 9, verse 6. They shall seek death, but shall not find it. The fire of hell is such as multitudes of tears will not quench it, length of time will not finish it. The vial of God's wrath will be always dropping upon a sinner. As long as God is eternal, he lives to be avenged upon the wicked. O oh, eternity, eternity, who can fathom it? Mariners have their plummets to measure the depths of the sea. But what line or plummet shall we use to fathom the depth of eternity? The breath of the Lord kindles the infernal lake, Isaiah chapter 30, verse 33. And where shall we have engines or buckets to quench that fire? O oh, eternity, if all the body of the earth and sea were turned to sand, and all the air up to the starry heaven were nothing but sand, and a little bird should come every thousand years and fetch away in her bill but the tenth part of a grain of all that heap of sand, what numberless years would be spent before that vast heap of sand would be fetched away? Yet if at the end of all that time the sinner might come out of hell, there would be some hope. But that word ever 
breaks the heart. The smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever. What a terror is this to the wicked, enough to put them into a cold sweat, to think, as long as God is eternal, he lives forever to be avenged upon them. Here the question may be asked, why should sin that is committed in a short time be punished eternally? We must hold with Augustine that God's judgments on the wicked, occultu esse possum injusta esse non possum, may be secret but never unjust. The reason why sin committed in a short time is eternally punished is because every sin is committed against an infinite essence, and no less than eternity of punishment can satisfy. Why is treason punished with confiscation and death? But because it is against the king's person, which is sacred, much more that offense which is against God's crown and dignity, is of a heinous and infinite nature, and cannot be satisfied with less than eternal punishment. Use 2. Of comfort to the godly. God is eternal, therefore he lives forever to reward the godly. Romans chapter 2, verse 7. To them who seek for glory and honor, eternal life. The people of God here are in a suffering condition. Acts chapter 20, verse 23. Bonds and afflictions abide me. The wicked are clad in purple and fare deliciously while the godly suffer. Goats climb upon high mountains while Christ's sheep are in the valley of slaughter. But here is the comfort. God is eternal, and he has appointed eternal recompenses for the saints. In heaven are fresh delights, sweetness without surfeit, and that which is the crown and zenith of heaven's happiness is that it is eternal. First Epistle of John, chapter 3, verse 15. Were there but the least suspicion that this glory must cease, it would much eclipse, yea, embitter it, but it is eternal. What angel can span eternity? Second Corinthians, chapter 4, verse 17. An eternal weight of glory. The saints shall bathe themselves in the rivers of divine pleasure, and these rivers can never be dried up. Psalms 16, verse 2. At thy right hand are pleasures forevermore. This is the Elah, the highest strain in the Apostles' rhetoric. First Epistle to Thessalonians, chapter 4, verse 17. Ever with the Lord. There is peace without trouble, ease without pain, glory without end, ever with the Lord. Let this comfort the saints in all their troubles. Their sufferings are but short, and their reward is eternal. Eternity makes heaven to be heaven. It is the diamond in the ring. O blessed day, that shalt have no night! The sunlight of glory shall rise upon the soul and never set. O blessed spring, that shall have no autumn or fall of the leaf! The Roman emperors have three crowns set upon their heads, the first of iron, the second of silver, the third of gold. So the Lord sets three crowns on his children, grace, comfort, and glory, and this crown is eternal. First Epistle of Peter, chapter 5, verse 4. Ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. The wicked have a never-dying worm, and the godly a never-fading crown. Oh, how should this be a spur to virtue? How willing should we be to work for God? Though we had nothing here, God has time enough to reward his people. The crown of eternity shall be set upon their head. Use 3. Of Exhortation study eternity. Our thoughts should chiefly run upon eternity. We all wish for the present, something that may delight the senses. If we could have lived, as Augustine says, a cuniobilis mundi, from the infancy of the world to the world's old age, 
What were this? What is time measured with eternity? As the earth is but a small point in the heaven, so time is, but nay, scarce a minute to eternity. And then what is this poor life which crumbles away so fast? Oh, think of eternity. Annos eternos in mente habe. Brethren, we are every day traveling to eternity, and whether we wake or sleep, we are going our journey. Some of us are upon the borders of eternity. Oh, study the shortness of life and length of eternity. More particularly, think of God's eternity and the soul's eternity. Think of God's eternity. He is the Ancient of Days, who was before all time. There is a figurative description of God in Daniel chapter 7, verse 9. The Ancient of Days did sit, whose garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head like the pure wool. His white garment, wherewith he was clothed, signified his majesty, his hair like the pure wool, his holiness, and the Ancient of Days, his eternity. The thought of God's eternity should make us have high adoring thoughts of God. We are apt to have mean, irreverent thoughts of Him. Psalms 50, verse 21. Thou thoughtest I was such as one as thyself, weak and mortal. But if we would think of God's eternity when all our power ceases, He is King eternal. His crown flourishes forever. He can make us happy or miserable forever. This would make us have adoring thoughts of God. Revelations chapter 4, verse 10. The four-and-twenty elders fall down before him that sat upon the throne, and worship him that liveth for ever and ever, and cast their crowns before the throne. The saints fall down to signify by that humble posture that they are not worthy to sit in God's presence. They fall down and they worship him that liveth for ever and ever. They do, as it were, kiss his feet. They cast their crowns before the throne. They lay all their honor at his feet. Therefore, they show the humble adoration to the eternal essence. Study God's eternity. It will make us adore where we cannot fathom. Think of the soul's eternity. As God is eternal, so He has made us eternal. We are never dying creatures. We are shortly entering upon an eternal state, either of happiness or misery. Have serious thoughts of this. Say, O oh my soul, which of these two eternities is like to be thy portion? I must shortly depart hence, and whither then shall I go, to which of these eternities, either of glory or misery? The serious meditation of the eternal state we are to pass into would work strongly with us. 1. Thoughts of eternal torments are a good antidote against sin. Sin tempts with its pleasure, but when we think of eternity, it may cool the intemperate heat of lust. Shall I, for the pleasure of sin for a season, endure eternal pain? Sin, like those locusts, Revelations chapter 9, verse 7, seems to have on its head a crown like gold, but it has in it a tail like a scorpion, verse 10, and a sting in its tail, and this sting can never be plucked out. Shall I venture eternal wrath? Is sin committed so sweet as lying in hell forever is bitter? This thought would make us flee from sin as Moses from the serpent. 2. The serious thoughts of eternal happiness would very much take us off from worldly things. What are these sublunary things to eternity? They are quickly gone, they salute us, and take their farewell. But I am to enter upon an everlasting estate. I hope to live with him who is eternal. What is the world to me? To those who stand upon the top of the Alps, 
The great cities of Campania are small things in their eyes. So to him who has his thoughts fixed on his eternal state after this life, all these things seem as nothing in his eye. What is the glory of this world? How poor and contemptible compared with an eternal weight of glory! 3. The serious thoughts of an eternal state, either of happiness or misery, should have a powerful influence upon whatsoever we take in hand. Every work we do promises either a blessed or cursed eternity. Every good action sets up a step nearer to an eternity of happiness. Every bad action sets us a step nearer to an eternity of misery. Oh, what influence should the thoughts of eternity have upon our religious duties? It should make us do them with all our might. Duty well performed lifts a Christian higher towards heaven and sets a Christian a step nearer to a blessed eternity. 6. The Unchangeableness of God The next attribute is God's unchangeableness. I am Jehovah, I change not. Malachi chapter 3, verse 6. 1. God is unchangeable in His nature. 2. In His decree. 1. Unchangeable in His nature. 1. There is no eclipse of His brightness. 2. No period put to His being. 1. No eclipse of his brightness. His essence shines with a fixed luster. With whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. James chapter 1, verse 17. Thou art the same. Psalms 102, verse 27. All created things are full of vicissitudes. Princes and emperors are subject to mutation. Sesostris, an Egyptian prince, having subdued diverse kings in war, made them draw his chariot like horses, as if he intended them to eat grass, as God did King Nebuchadnezzar. The crown has many successors. Kingdoms have their eclipses and convulsions. What is become of the glory of Athens, the pomp of Troy? Jam sejus et tubi Troja fuit. Now corn grows where Troy once stood. Though kingdoms have a head of gold, they have feet of clay. The heavens change. As a vesture shalt thou change them, and they shall be changed. Psalms 102, verse 26. The heavens are the most ancient records, where God has written His glory with a sunbeam. Yet these shall change. Though I do not think they shall be destroyed as to their substance, yet they shall be changed as to their qualities. They shall melt with fervent heat, and so be more refined and purified. Second Epistle of Peter, chapter 3, verse 12. Thus the heavens shall be changed, but not he who dwells in heaven. With him there is no variableness, nor shadow of turning. The best saints have their eclipses and changes. Look upon a Christian in his spiritual estate, and he is full of variation. Though the seed of grace does not die, yet its beauty and activity often wither. A Christian has his augurish fits in religion. Sometimes his faith is at a high tide, sometimes low ebb. Sometimes his love flames, at another time is like fires in the embers, and he has lost his first love. How strong was David's grace at one time! The God of my rock, in him will I trust. Second Samuel chapter 12, verse 3. At another time he says, I shall one day perish by the hand of Saul. What Christian can say he does not find a change in his graces, that the bow of his faith 
never unbends, the strings of his vial never slacken. Surely we shall never meet with such Christians till we meet them in heaven. But God is without any shadow of turning. The angels were subject to change, they were created holy, but mutable, the angels which kept not their first estate. Jude, chapter 6. These morning stars of heaven were falling stars, but God's glory shines with a fixed brightness. In God there is nothing that looks like a change, for better or worse, not better, because he then were not perfect, not worse, for then he would cease to be perfect. He is immutably holy, immutably good. There is no shadow of change in him. But when Christ, who is God, assumed the human nature, there was a change in God. If the divine nature had been converted into the human, or the human into the divine, there had been a change, but they were not so. The human nature was distinct from the divine. Therefore, there was no change. A cloud over the sun makes no change in the body of the sun. So, though the divine nature be covered with the human, it makes no change in the divine nature. 2. There is no period put to his being. Who only has immortality? First Epistle to Timothy, chapter 6, verse 16. The Godhead cannot die. An infinite essence cannot be changed into finite, but God is infinite. He is eternal. Ergo, He is not mortal. To be eternal and mortal is a contradiction. Use 1. See the excellence of the divine nature in its immutability. This is the glory of the Godhead. Mutableness denotes weakness and is not in God who is the same yesterday, and today, and forever. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8. Men are fickle and mutable, like Reuben, unstable as water. Genesis chapter 49, verse 4. They are changeable in their principles. If their faces altered as fast as their opinions, we should not know them. Changeable in their resolutions, as the wind that blows in the east presently turns about to the west. They resolve to be virtuous, but quickly repent of their resolutions. Their minds are like a sick man's pulse, which alters every half-hour. An apostle compares them to waves of the sea and wandering stars. Jude chapter 13. They are not pillars in God's temple, but reeds. Others are changeable in their friendship. They quickly love and quickly hate. Sometimes they will put you in their bosom, then excommunicate you out of their favor. They change as the chameleon into several colors but God is immutable. Use 2. See the vanity of the creature. There are changes in everything but in God. Men of high degree are vanity, and men of low degree are a lie. Psalms 62, verse 9. We look for more from the creature than God has put in it. It has two evils in it. It promises more than we find, and it fails us when we most need it. There is failure in omni. A man desires to have his corn ground, and the water fails. The mariner is for a voyage, and the wind does not blow, or is contrary. One depends upon another for the payment of a promise, and he fails, and is like a foot out of joint. Who would look for a fixed stability in the vain creature? It is as if one should build houses on the sand, where the sea comes in and overflows. The creature is true to nothing but deceit, and is constant only in its disappointments. It is no more wonderful to see changes fall out here below than to see the moon dressing itself in a new shape and figure. Expect to meet with changes in everything but God. Use 3. Comfort. 
to the godly. 1. In case of losses. If an estate he almost boiled away to nothing, if you lose friends by death, there is a double eclipse, but the comfort is, God is unchangeable. I may lose these things, but I cannot lose my God. He never dies. When the fig tree and olive tree failed, God did not fail. I will joy in the God of my salvation. Habakkuk chapter 3 verse 18. Flowers in the garden die, but a man's portion remains. So outward things die and change, but thou art the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Psalm 73 verse 26. 2. In case of sadness of spirit, God seems to cast off the soul in desertion, as in Canticles chapter 5 verse 6, My beloved had withdrawn himself, yet he is unchangeable. He is immutable in his love. He may change his countenance, but not his heart. I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Jeremiah chapter 31 verse 3. Hebrew, Olam, a love of eternity. If once God's electing love rises upon the soul, it never sets. The mountains shall be removed, but my loving kindness shall not depart from thee, neither the covenant of my peace be removed. Isaiah chapter 54, verse 10. God's love stands faster than the mountains. His love to Christ is unchangeable, and he will no more cease loving believers than he will cease loving Christ. Use 4. Of Exhortation. Get an interest in the unchangeable God, then thou art as a rock in the sea, unmovable in the midst of all changes. How shall I get a part in the unchangeable God? By having a change wrought in thee. But ye are washed, but ye are sanctified. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2. Whence we are changed, a tenebris ad lucem, from darkness to light, so changed as if another soul did live in the same body. By this change we are interested in the unchangeable God. Trust to that God only, who is unchangeable. Cease ye from man, Isaiah chapter 2, verse 22. Leave trusting to the reed, but trust to the rock of ages. He that is by faith and garrisoned in God is safe in all changes. He is like a boat that is tied to an immovable rock. He that trusts in God trusts in that which cannot fail him. He is unchangeable. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. Health may leave us, riches, friends may leave us, but, says God, I will not leave thee, my power shall support thee, my spirit shall sanctify thee, my mercy shall save thee, I will never leave thee. O trust in this unchangeable God. God is jealous of two things, of our love and of our trust. He is jealous of our love, lest we love the creature more than him. Therefore he makes it prove bitter, and of our trust, lest we should place more confidence in it than in him. Therefore he makes it prove unfaithful. Outward comforts are given us as food by the way to refresh us, not as crutches to lean on. If we make the creature an idol, what we make our trust, God will make our shame. O trust in the immortal God, like Noah's dove, we have no footing for our souls till we get into the ark of God's unchangeableness. Psalms 125, verse 1. They that trust in the Lord shall be like Mount Sion, which cannot be removed. God is unchangeable in His decree. What He has decreed from eternity is unalterable. 
my counsel shall stand. Isaiah chapter 46, verse 10. God's eternal counsel or decree is immutable. If he changed his decree, it must be from some defect of wisdom or foresight, for that is the reason why men change their purposes. They see something after which they did not see before. But this cannot be the cause why God should alter his decree, because his knowledge is perfect. He sees all things in one entire prospect before him. But is not God said to repent? There seems to be a change in his decree in Jonah chapter 3 verse 10. The Lord repented of the evil that he said he would do unto them. Repentance is attributed to God figuratively. Numbers chapter 23 verse 19. He is not a man that he should repent. There may be a change in God's work, but not in his will. He may will a change, but not change his will. God may change his sentence, but not his decree. A king may cause sentence to be passed upon a malefactor whom he intends to save. So God threatened destruction to Nineveh, but the people of Nineveh, repenting, God spared them. Jonah chapter 3, verse 10. Here God changed his sentence, but not his decree. It was what had lain in the womb of his purpose from eternity. But if God's decree were unchangeable and cannot be reversed, to what purpose should we use the means? Our endeavors toward salvation cannot alter his decree. The decree of God does not affect my endeavor. For he that decreed my salvation decreed it in the use of means, and if I neglect the means I reprobate myself. No man argues thus. God has decreed how long I shall live, therefore I will not use means to preserve my life. I will not eat and drink. God has decreed the time of my life in the use of means, so God has decreed my salvation in the use of the word and of prayer. As a man who refuses food murders himself, so he that refuses to work out his salvation destroys himself. The vessels of mercy are said to be prepared unto glory. Romans chapter 9, verse 23. How are they prepared but by being sanctified? And that cannot be but in the use of means. Therefore let not God's decree take thee off from holy endeavors. It is a good saying of Dr. Preston, Hast thou a heart to pray to God? It is a sign no decree of wrath has passed against thee. Use 1. If God's decree be eternal and unchangeable, then God does not elect upon our faith foreseen, as the Arminians maintain. The children being not yet born, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, it was said, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. Romans chapter 9, verses 11 and 13. We are not elected for holiness, but to holiness. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. If we are not justified for our faith, much less are we elected for our faith, but we are not justified for it. We are said to be justified through faith, as an instrument in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, but not for faith as a cause, and if not justified for faith, then much less elected. God's decree of election is eternal and unchangeable, and therefore depends not upon faith foreseen. As many as were ordained to eternal life believed. Acts chapter 13, verse 48. They were not elected because they believed, but they believed because they were elected. Use 2. If God's decree be unchangeable, 
it gives comfort in two cases. One, concerning God's providence toward his church. We are ready to quarrel with providence if everything does not accord with our desire. Remember, God's work goes on, and nothing falls out but what he has decreed from eternity. Two, God has decreed troubles for the church's good. The troubles of God's church is like the angels troubling the water, which made way for healing his people. John chapter 5, verse 4. He has decreed troubles in the church. His fire is in Zion and his furnace in Jerusalem. Isaiah chapter 31, verse 9. The wheels in a watch move across one to another, but they all carry on the motion of the watch. So the wheels of providence often move cross to our desires, but still they carry on God's unchangeable decree. Many shall be made white. Daniel chapter 12, verse 10. God lets the waters of affliction be poured on his people to make them white. Therefore murmur not at God's dealings. His work goes on, nothing falls out but what he has wisely decreed from eternity. Everything shall promote God's design and fulfill his decree. Use 3. Comfort to the godly in regard of their salvation. Second Epistle to Timothy, chapter 2, verse 19. The foundation of God standeth sure. Having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his. God's counsel of election is unchangeable. Once elected, forever elected. I will not blot his name out of the book of life. Revelations chapter 3, verse 5. The book of God's decree has no errata in it, no blottings out. Once justified, never unjustified. Repentance shall be hid from mine eyes. Hosea chapter 13, verse 14. God never repents of his electing love. He loved them to the end. John chapter 13, verse 1. Therefore, if thou art a believer, comfort thyself with this, the immutability of God's decree. Use 4. To conclude with a word to the wicked, who march furiously against God and his people, let them know that God's decree is unchangeable. God will not alter it, nor can they break it, and while they resist God's will, they fulfill it. There is a twofold will of God, voluntas precepti et decreti, the will of God's precept and of his decree. While the wicked resist the will of God's precept, they fulfill the will of his permissive decree. Judas betrays Christ, Pilate condemns him, the soldiers crucify him, while they resist the will of God's precepts, they fulfill the will of his permissive decree. Acts chapter 4, verse 28. God commands one thing, they do the contrary to keep the Sabbath, and they profane it. While they disobey his command, they fulfill his permissive decree. If a man sets up two nets, one of silk, the other of iron, the silken net may be broken, not the iron. So while men break the silken net of God's command, they are taken in the iron net of his decree. While they sit backward to God's precepts, they row forward to his decrees. His decrees to permit their sin and to punish them for their sin permitted. 7. The Wisdom of God The next attribute is God's wisdom, which is one of the brightest beams of the Godhead. He is wise in heart, Job chapter 9, verse 4. The heart is the seat of wisdom. Kor in Hebreo, sumitor pro judicio. Pineda, 
Among the Hebrews, the heart is put for wisdom. Let men of understanding tell me, Job chapter 34, verse 34, in the Hebrew, let men of heart tell me. God is wise in heart, that is, He is most wise. God only is wise. He solely and wholly possesses all wisdom. Therefore, He is called the only wise God. First Epistle to Timothy chapter 1, verse 17. All the treasures of wisdom are locked up in Him, and no creature can have any wisdom but as God is pleased to give it out of His treasury. God is perfectly wise. There is no defect in His wisdom. Men may be wise in some things, but in other things may betray imprudence and weakness. But God is the exemplar and pattern of wisdom, and the pattern must be perfect. Matthew chapter 5, verse 48. God's wisdom appears in two things. 1. His infinite intelligence. 2. His exact working. 1. His infinite intelligence. He knows the most profound secrets. Daniel chapter 2, verse 28. He knows the thoughts which are the most intricate subtle things. Amos chapter 4, verse 13. He declareth to man what is his thought. Let sin be contrived ever so politically. God will pull off all masks and disguises and make a heart anatomy. He knows all future contingencies. Et ante intuita and already foreseen, all things are before him in one clear prospect. 2. His exact curious working. He is wise in heart. His wisdom lies in his works. These works of God are bound up in three great volumes, where we may read his wisdom. 1. The work of creation. The creation is both a monument of God's power and a looking-glass in which we may see his wisdom. None but a wise God could so curiously contrive the world. Behold the earth decked with variety of flowers, which are both for beauty and fragrance. Behold the heaven bespangled with lights. We may see the glorious wisdom of God blazing in the sun, twinkling in the stars. His wisdom is seen in marshalling and ordering everything in its proper place and sphere. If the sun had been set lower, it would have burnt us. If higher, it would not have warmed us with its beams. God's wisdom is seen in appointing the seasons of the year. Thou hast made summer and winter. Psalms 74, verse 17. If it had been all summer, the heat would have scorched us. If all winter, the cold would have killed us. The wisdom of God is seen in checkering the dark and the light. If it had been all night, there had been no labor. If all day, there had been no rest. Wisdom is seen in mixing the elements, as the earth with the sea. If it had been all sea, we had wanted bread. If it had been all earth, we had wanted water. The wisdom of God is seen in preparing and ripening the fruits of the earth, in the wind and frost that prepare the fruits, and in the sun and rain that ripen the fruits. God's wisdom is seen in setting bounds to the sea, so that wisely contriving it, that though the sea be higher than many parts of the earth, yet it should not overflow the earth, so that we may cry out with the psalmist, O Lord, how manifold are thy works! In wisdom hast thou made them all. Psalms 104, verse 24. There is nothing to be seen but miracles of wisdom. God's wisdom is seen in ordering things in the body politic that one shall have need of another. The poor need the rich man's money, and the rich need the poor man's labor. 
God makes one trade upon another, that one may be helpful to another, and that mutual love may be preserved. 2. The second work wherein God's wisdom shines forth is the work of redemption. 1. Here was the masterpiece of divine wisdom, to contrive a way to happiness between the sin of man and the justice of God. We may cry out with the Apostle, O oh, the depth of the riches both of the wisdom and knowledge of God! Romans chapter 11, verse 33. This astonished men and angels. If God had put us to find out a way of salvation when we were lost, we could neither have had a head to devise nor a heart to desire what God's infinite wisdom had found out for us. Mercy had a mind to save sinners, and was loath that the justice of God should be wronged. It is a pity, says Mercy, that such a noble creature as man should be made to be undone, and yet God's justice must not be a loser. What way, then, shall be found out? Angels cannot satisfy for the wrong done to God's justice, nor is it fit that one nature should sin and another nature suffer. What then? Shall man be forever lost? Now, while mercy was thus debating with itself what to do for the recovery of fallen man, the wisdom of God stepped in, and thus the oracle spake. Let God become man, let the second person in the Trinity be incarnate, and suffer, and so for fitness he shall be man, and for ability he shall be God. Thus justice may be satisfied and man saved. O oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom of God, thus to make justice and mercy to kiss each other! Great is this mystery, God manifest in the flesh. First Epistle to Timothy, chapter 3, verse 16. What wisdom was this, that Christ should be made sin, yet know no sin, that God should condemn the sin, yet save the sinner? Here was the wisdom, to find out the way of salvation. 2. The means by which salvation is applied sets forth God's wisdom, that salvation should be by faith, not by works. Faith is a humble grace. It gives all to Christ. It is an adorer of free grace, and free grace being advanced here, God has His glory, and it is His highest wisdom to exalt His own glory. 3. The way of working faith declares God's wisdom. It is wrought by the word preached. Faith comes by hearing. Romans chapter 10, verse 17. What is the weak breath of a man to convert a soul? It is like whispering in the ears of a dead man. This is foolishness in the eye of the world. But the Lord loves to show His wisdom by that which seems folly. He has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27. Why so? Verse 29. That no flesh should glory in His presence. Should God convert by the ministry of angels, then we should be ready to glory in angels, and give that honor to them which is due to God. But when God works by weak tools, makes use of men who are of like passions with ourselves, and by them converts, then the power is plainly seen to be of God. We have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. Herein is God's wisdom seen, that no flesh may glory in His presence. 3. 
The wisdom of God wonderfully appears in the works of His providence. Every providence has a mercy or a wonder wrapped up in it. The wisdom of God in His works of providence appears, one, by effecting great things by small contemptible means. He cured the stung Israelites by a brazen serpent. If some sovereign antidote had been used, if the balm of Gilead had been brought, there had been some likelihood of a cure. But what was there in a brazen serpent? It was a mere image, and not applied to him that was wounded. He was to look upon it only, yet this wrought a cure. The less probability in the instrument, the more is God's wisdom seen. 2. The wisdom of God is seen in doing his work by which, to the eye of flesh, seems quite contrary. God intended to advance Joseph, and to make all his brethren sheaves bow to his sheaf. Now, what way does he take? First, Joseph is thrown into the pit, then sold into Egypt, then after that put in prison. Genesis chapter 39, verse 20. By his imprisonment, God made way for his advancement. For God to save in an ordinary way would not so much display his wisdom, but when he goes strangely to work, and saves in that very way in which we think he will destroy, his wisdom shines forth in a most conspicuous manner. God would make Israel victorious, and what way does he take? He lessens Gideon's army. The people that are with thee are too many. Jude chapter 7, verse 2. He reduces the army of two and thirty thousand to three hundred and by taking away the means of victory, makes Israel victorious. God had a design to bring his people out of Egypt, and a strange course he takes to effect it. He stirred up the hearts of the Egyptians to hate them. He turned their heart to hate his people. Psalms 105, verse 25. The more they hated and oppressed Israel, the more God plagued the Egyptians, and the more glad they were to let Israel go. Exodus chapter 12, verse 33. The Egyptians were urgent upon Israel, that they might send them out of the land in haste. God had a mind to save Jonah when he was cast into the sea, and he let the fish swallow him up, and so brought him to the shore. God would save Paul and all that were in the ship with him, but the ship must break, and they all come safe to land upon the broken pieces of the ship. Acts chapter 27. Verse 44. In reference to the church, God often goes by contrary means and makes the enemy do his work. He can make a straight stroke with a crooked stick. He has often made his church grow and flourish by persecution. The showers of blood have made her more faithful, says Julian. Exodus chapter 1, verse 10. Come, let us deal wisely with them, lest they multiply. And the way they took to suppress them made them multiply. Verse 12. The more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied. Like ground, the more it is harrowed, the better crop it bears. The apostles were scattered by reasons of persecution, and their scattering was like the scattering of seed. They went up and down and preached the gospel and brought daily converts. Paul was put in prison, and his bonds were the means of spreading the gospel. Philippians chapter 1, verse 12. 3. The wisdom of God is seen in making the most desperate evils turn to the good of His children. 
as several poisonable ingredients, wisely tempered by the skill of the artist, make a sovereign medicine, so God makes the most deadly afflictions cooperate for the good of his children. He purifies them and prepares them for heaven. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17. These hard frosts hasten the spring flowers of glory. The wise God, by a divine chemistry, turns afflictions into cordials. He makes his people gainers by losses and turns their crosses into blessings. 4. The wisdom of God is seen in this, that the sins of men shall carry on God's work, yet he should have no hand in their sin. The Lord permits sin, but does not approve it. He has a hand in the action in which sin is, but not in the sin of the action. As in the crucifying of Christ, so far as it was a natural action, God concurred. If he had not given the Jews life and breath, they could not have done it, but as it was a sinful action, so God abhorred it. A musician plays upon a viol out of tune. The musician is the cause of the sound, but the jarring and discord is from the viol itself. So men's natural motion is from God, but their sinful motion is from themselves. When a man rides on a lame horse, his riding is the cause why the horse goes, but the lameness is from the horse itself. Herein is God's wisdom, that the sins of men carry on his work, yet he has no hand in them. 5. The wisdom of God is seen in helping in desperate cases. God loves to show his wisdom when human help and wisdom fail. Exquisite lawyers love to wrestle with niceties and difficulties in the law, to show their skill the more. God's wisdom is never at a loss, but when providences are darkest, then the morning star of deliverance appears. Who remembered us in our low estate? Psalms 136, verse 23. Sometimes God melts away the spirits of his enemies. Joshua chapter 2, verse 24. Sometimes he finds them other work to do, and sounds a retreat to them, as he did to Saul when he was pursuing David. The Philistines are in the land. In the mount will God be seen. When the church seems to be upon the altar, her peace and liberty ready to be sacrificed, then the angel comes. 6. God's wisdom is seen in befooling wise men, and in making their wisdom the means of their overthrow. Ahithophel had deep policy. 2 Samuel chapter 16, verse 23. The counsel of Ahithophel, which he counseled, was as if a man had inquired at the oracle of God, but he consulted his own shame. The Lord turned his counsel into foolishness. 2 Samuel chapter 15, verse 31. God taketh the wise in their own craftiness. Job chapter 5, verse 13. That is, when they think to deal wisely, he not only disappoints them, but ensnares them. The snares they lay for others catch themselves. In the net which they hid is their own foot taken. Psalms 9, verse 15. God loves to counterplot politicians. He makes use of their own wit to undo them, and hangs Haman upon his own gallows. Use 1. Adore the wisdom of God. It is an infinite deep. The angels cannot search into it. His ways are past finding out. Romans chapter 11, verse 33. As we should adore, so we should rest in the wisdom of God. 
God sees what condition is best for us. Did we believe the wisdom of God, it would keep us from murmuring. Rest in God's wisdom. 1. In want of spiritual comfort. God is wise. He sees it good sometimes that we should be without comfort. Perhaps we should be lifted up with spiritual enlargements, as Paul with his revelations. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. It is hard to have the heart low when comfort is high. God sees humility to be better for us than joy. It is better to want comfort and be humble than to have it and be proud. 2. In want of bodily strength, rest in God's wisdom. He sees what is best. Perhaps the less health, the more grace. Weaker in body, the stronger in faith. Though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. At Rome there were two laurel trees. When the one withered, the other flourished. The inward man is renewed. When God shakes the tree of the body, he is gathering the fruits of righteousness. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11. Sickness is God's lance to let out the imposthume of sin. Isaiah chapter 27, verse 9. 3. In case of God's providences to his church, when we wonder what God is doing with us, and are ready to kill ourselves with care, let us rest in God's wisdom. He knows best what he has to do. His footsteps are not known. Psalm 77, verse 19. Trust him where you cannot trace him. God is most in his way when we think he is most out of the way. When we think God's church is, as it were, in the grave, and there is a tombstone laid upon her, his wisdom can roll away the stone from the sepulchre. Christ cometh leaping over mountains. Canticles, chapter 2, verse 8. Either his power can remove the mountain, or his wisdom knows how to leap over it. 4. In case we are low in the world, or have but little oil in our crews, let us rest in God's wisdom. He sees it best. It is to cure pride and wantonness. God knew if thy estate had not been lost, thy soul had been lost. God saw riches would be a snare unto thee. First Epistle to Timothy, chapter 6, verse 9. Art thou troubled that God has prevented a snare? God will make thee rich in faith. What thou lackest in temporals shall be made up in spirituals. God will give thee more of his love. Thou art weak in estate, but God will make thee strong in assurance. O oh, rest thee in God's wisdom. He will carve out the best for thee. 5. In case of the loss of dear friends, a wife, or child, or husband, let us rest satisfied in God's wisdom. God takes away these because he would have more of our love. He breaks these crutches that we may live more upon him by faith. God would have us learn to go without crutches. Use 2. If God be infinitely wise, let us go to him for wisdom, as Solomon did. Give thy servant an understanding heart, and the speech pleased the Lord. 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 9. Here is encouragement for us. If one lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who giveth liberally, and upbraideth not. James chapter 1, verse 5. Wisdom is in God. Tanquam in fonte, as in the fountain. His wisdom is imparted, not impaired. His stock is not spent by giving. 
Go then to God. Lord, do thou light my lamp. In thy light shall I see light. Give me wisdom to know the fallacy of my heart, the subtleties of the old serpent, to walk jealously toward myself, religiously toward thee, prudently toward others. Guide me by thy counsel, and afterwards receive me to glory. 8. The Power of God The next attribute is God's power. Job chapter 9, verse 19. If I speak of strength, lo, he is strong. In this chapter is a magnificent description of God's power. Lo, he is strong. The Hebrew word for strong signifies a conquering, prevailing strength. He is strong. The superlative degree is intended here, vis-à-vis, he is most strong. He is called El Shaddai, God Almighty. Genesis chapter 17, verse 1. His almightiness lies in this, that can do whatever is feasible. Divines distinguish between authority and power. God has both. 1. He has a sovereign, right-arid authority over man. He can do with his creatures as he pleases. Who shall dispute with God? Who shall ask him a reason of his doings? Daniel chapter 4, verse 35. He does according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say unto him, What doest thou? God sits judge in the highest court. He calls the monarchs of the earth to the bar and is not bound to give a reason of his proceedings. Psalms 75, verse 7. He putteth down one and raiseth up another. He has salvation and damnation in his power. He has the key of justice in his hand, to lock up whom he will in the fiery prison of hell, and he has the key of mercy in his hand, to open heaven's gate to whom he pleases. The name engraven upon his vesture is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Revelations chapter 19, verse 16. He sits Lord Paramount, and who can call him to account? Isaiah chapter 46, verse 10. I will do all my pleasure. The world is God's diocese, and shall not he do what he will in his own diocese? He it was that turned King Nebuchadnezzar to eat grass, and threw the angels to hell when they sinned, that broke the head of the Babylonish empire. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer! Thy pomp is brought down to the grave. Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12. Who sets bounds to the sea and bridles the proud waves? Job chapter 38, verse 11. God is the supreme monarch. All power is seated originally in him. The powers that be are ordained of God. Romans chapter 13, verse 1. Kings hold their crowns of him. By me kings reign. Proverbs chapter 8, verse 15. 2. As God has authority, so he has infinite power. What is authority without power? He is mighty in strength. Job chapter 9, verse 4. This power of God is seen. 1. In the creation. To create requires infinite power. All the world cannot make a fly. God's power in creating is evident. Because he needs no instruments to work with, he can work without tools. Because he needs no matter to work upon, he creates matter and then works upon it and because he works without labor, he spake, and it was done. Psalms 33, 
verse 9. 2. The power of God is seen in the conversion of souls. The same power draws a sinner to God that drew Christ out of the grave to heaven. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19. Greater power is put forth in conversion than in creation. When God made the world, He met with no opposition, as He had nothing to help Him, so He had nothing to hinder Him. But when He converts a sinner, He meets with opposition. Satan opposes Him, and the heart opposes Him. A sinner is angry with converting grace. The world has the work of God's fingers. Psalm 8, verse 3. Conversion is the work of God's arm. Luke chapter 1, verse 51. In the creation, God wrought but one miracle. He spake the word, but in conversion, He works many miracles. The blind is made to see, the dead is raised, the deaf hears the voice of the Son of God. O oh, the infinite power of Jehovah! Before His scepter, angels veil and prostrate themselves, and kings cast their crowns at His feet. He touches the land, and it shall melt. Amos chapter 9, verse 5. He removeth the earth out of her place. Job chapter 9, verse 6. An earthquake makes the earth tremble upon her pillars, but God shakes it out of its place. He can remove the earth from its center. He can do what He will. His power is as large as His will. Were men's power as large as their will, what work would they make in the world? He, with a word, can unpin the wheels and break the axle tree of the creation. He can do more than we can think. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. He can suspend natural agents. He sealed up the lion's mouths. He made the fire not to burn. He made the waters to stand up on a heap. He caused the sun to go ten degrees backward in the dial of Ahaz. Isaiah chapter 38, verse 8. What can pose omnipotence? The Lord cuts off the spirit of princes. Psalms 76, verse 12. He counterworks his enemies. He pulls down their flags and banners of pride, infatuates their counsels, breaks their forces, and he does it with ease, with the turning of his hand, with his breath. Psalms 33, chapter 6, Isaiah, chapter 40, verse 24. A look, a glance of his eye is all it needs cost God to destroy his enemies. The Lord looked into the host of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and troubled their host. Exodus, chapter 14, verse 24. Who shall stop him in his march? God commands, and all creatures in heaven and earth obey him. Xerxes, the Persian monarch, threw fetters into the sea, when its waves swelled, as if he would have chained the waters, but when God speaks, the wind and sea obey him. If he say but the word, the stars fight in their courses against Sisera. If he stamp with his foot, an army of angels shall presently be in battalia. What cannot omnipotent power do? The Lord is a man of war. Exodus chapter 15, verse 3. He has a mighty arm. Psalms 89, verse 13. God's power is a glorious power. Colossians chapter 1, verse 11. It is an irresistible power. Romans chapter 9, verse 19. Who has resisted his will? To contest with him is as if the thorns should set themselves in battle array against the fire, or as if an infirm child should fight with an archangel. If the sinner be once taken in God's iron net, there is no escape. 
There is none that can deliver out of my hand. Isaiah chapter 43, verse 13. God's power is inexhaustible. It is never spent or wasted. Men, while they exercise their strength, weaken it. But God has an everlasting spring of strength in Himself. Isaiah chapter 26, verse 4. Though He spends His arrows upon His enemies, yet He does not spend His strength. Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 23. He fainteth not, neither is weary. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 28. God cannot do all things, because He cannot deny Himself. Though God can do all things, He cannot do that which stains the glory of His Godhead. He cannot be sin. He cannot do that which implies a contradiction. To be a God of truth, and yet deny Himself, is a contradiction. Use 1. If God be infinite in power, let us fear Him. We fear such as are in power. Fear ye not me, saith the Lord, will ye not tremble at my presence? Jeremiah chapter 5, verse 22. He has power to cast our souls and bodies into hell. Who knows the power of His wrath? Psalms 90, verse 11. The same breath that made us can dissolve us. His fury is poured out like fire. The rocks are thrown down by Him. Nahum chapter 1, verse 6. Solomon says, Where the word of a king is, there is power, much more where the word of God is. Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verse 4. Oh, let us fear this mighty God. The fear of God will drive out all other base fear. Use 2. See the deplorable condition of wicked men. 1. This power of God is not for them. 2. It is against them. 1. This power of God is not for them. They have no union with God, therefore they have no warrant to lay claim to His power. His power is no relief to them. He has power to forgive sins, but He will not put forth His power towards an impenitent sinner. God's power is an eagle's wing to carry the saints to heaven, but what privilege is that to the wicked? Though a man will carry his child in his arms over a dangerous stream, yet he will not carry an enemy. God's power is not engaged to help those that fight against Him. Let miseries come upon the wicked, they have none to help them. They are like a ship in a storm without a pilot, and driven upon the rocks. 2. This power of God is against the wicked. God's power will not be the sinner's shield to defend him, but a sword to wound him. God's power will bind the sinner in chains. His power serves to revenge the wrong done to his mercy. He will be almighty to damn the sinner. Now in what condition is every unbeliever? God's power is engaged against him, and it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 31. Use 3. It reproves such as do not believe the power of God. We say we do not doubt of God's power, but His will. But indeed, it is His power that we question. Is anything too hard for God? Jeremiah chapter 32, verse 27. We stagger through unbelief, as if the arm of God's power was shrunk, and He could not help in desperate cases. Take away a king's power, and we unking him. Take away the Lord's power, and we ungod him. Yet how guilty of this are we? Did not Israel question God's power? Can He prepare a table in the wilderness? Psalms 78, 
verse 19. They thought the wilderness was a fitter place for making graves than spreading a table. Did not Martha doubt Christ's power? He has been dead four days. John chapter 11, verse 39. If Christ had been there while Lazarus was sick, or when he had been newly dead, Martha did not question, but he could have raised him. But he had lain in the grave four days, and now she seemed to question his power. Christ had as much ado to raise her faith as to raise her dead brother. Moses, though a holy man, limited God's power through unbelief. The people among whom I am are six hundred thousand footmen, and thou hast said, I will give them flesh for a whole month. Shall the flocks and the herds be slain for them to suffice them? Or shall all the fish of the sea be gathered for them to suffice? And the Lord said unto Moses, Is the Lord's hand waxed short? Numbers, chapter 11, verse 21. This is a great affront to God, to deny His power. That men doubt of God's power appears by their taking indirect courses, for they would not defraud in their dealings and use false weights if they believed the power of God could provide for them, and by depending more upon second causes than upon God. In his disease he sought not the Lord, but to the physicians. Second Chronicles chapter 16, verse 12. Use 4. If God be infinite in power, let us take heed of hardening our hearts against him. Who has hardened himself against him and prospered? Job chapter 9, verse 4. Job sends a challenge to all creatures in heaven and earth. Whoever took up the buckler against God and came off conqueror. For a person to go on daringly in any sin is to harden his heart against God and to raise a war against heaven. Let him remember God is El Shaddai, Almighty. He will be too hard for them that oppose him. Hast thou an arm like God? Job, chapter 40, verse 9. Such as will not bow to his golden scepter shall be broken with his iron rod. Julian hardened his heart against God. He opposed him to his face. But what got he at last? Did he prosper? Being wounded in battle, he threw up his blood into the air and said to Christ, Visisti Galilei. O Galilean, thou hast overcome. I acknowledge thy power, whose name and truth I have opposed. Will folly contend with wisdom, weakness with power, finite with infinite? Oh, take heed of hardening your heart against God. He can send legions of angels to avenge his quarrel. It is better to meet God with tears in your eyes than weapons in your hand. You may overcome him sooner by repentance than by resistance. Use 5 get an interest in God, then this glorious power is engaged for you. He gives it under his hand, that he will put forth the whole power of his Godhead for the good of his people. The Lord of hosts is the God of Israel, even a God to Israel. First Chronicles chapter 17, verse 24. This almightiness of God's power is a wonderful support and comfort to the believer. It was Samson's riddle, out of the strong came forth sweetness. Judges chapter 14, Verse 14. So, out of the attribute of God's power, out of this strong comes forth sweetness. It is comfort in several cases. 1. In case of strong corruption. My sins, says a child of God, are potent. 
I have no power against this army that comes against me. I pray, and humble my soul by fasting, but my sins return upon me. Oh, but dost thou believe the power of God? The strong God can conquer thy strong corruption. Though sin be too hard for thee, yet not for him. He can soften hard hearts and quicken the dead. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Genesis chapter 18, verse 14. Set his power to work by faith and prayer. Say, Lord, it is not for thy honor that the devil should have so strong a party within me. O oh, break the head of this Leviathan, Abba, Father, all things are possible to thee. 2. In case of strong temptation, Satan is called the strong man. But remember the power of God. Christ is called the Lion of the tribe of Judah. He has broken the serpent's head upon the cross. Satan is a chained enemy and a conquered enemy. Michael is stronger than the dragon. 3. Comfort in case of weakness of grace and fear of falling away. I pray, but I cannot send out strong cries. I believe, but the hand of my faith shakes and trembles. Cannot God strengthen weak grace? My strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. I fear I shall not hold out. Christian, dost thou believe the power of God? Has not God preserved thy grace thus far? Mayest thou not set up thy Ebenezer? God has kept thy grace hitherto as a spark in the main ocean, and is not he able to keep it? We are kept by the power of God, etc. First Epistle of Peter chapter 1, verse 5. God's mercy pardons us, but his power preserves us. He who by his power keeps the stars that they do not fall from their orbs, keeps our grace that it does not fail or annihilate. 4. Comfort in case of deficiency in thy estate. God can multiply the oil in the cruise. Miraculously, he can raise up supplies. Cannot he who provides for the birds of the air provide for his children? Cannot he that clothes the lilies clothe his lambs? 5. Comfort in regard of the resurrection. It seems difficult to believe that the bodies of men, when eaten up by worms, devoured by beasts and fishes, or consumed to ashes, should be raised the same numerical bodies. But if we believe the power of God, it is no great wonder which is harder to create or raise the dead. He that can make a body of nothing can restore it to its parts when mingled and confounded with other substances. With God all things are possible. Matthew chapter 19, verse 26. If we believe the first article of the Creed, that God is Almighty, we may quickly believe the other article, the resurrection of the body. God can raise the dead because of His power, and He cannot but raise them because of His truth. 6. It is comfort in reference to the church of God. He can save and deliver it when it is brought low. The enemies have power in their hand, but the remainder of wrath God will restrain. Psalm 76, verse 10. He can either confine the enemy's power or confound it. If God be for us, who can be against us? God can crease Jerusalem a rejoicing. Isaiah, chapter 65, verse 18. 
The church in Ezekiel is compared to dry bones, but God made breath to enter them, and they lived. Ezekiel chapter 37 verse 10. The ship of the church may be tossed, because sin is in it, but it shall not be overwhelmed, because Christ is in it. Psalms 46 verse 5. Deus in medio. All the church pangs shall help forward her deliverance. 9. The Holiness of God. The next attribute is God's holiness. Exodus chapter 15, verse 11. Glorious in holiness. Holiness is the most sparkling jewel of his crown. It is the name by which God is known. Psalms 111, chapter 9. Holy and reverend is his name. He is the Holy One. Job chapter 6, verse 10. Seraphim's cry, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 3. His power makes him mighty. His holiness makes him glorious. God's holiness consists in his perfect love of righteousness and abhorrence of evil, of purer eyes than to behold evil, and cannot look on iniquity. Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 13. 1. God is holy intrinsically. He is holy in his nature. His very being is made up of holiness, as light is the essence of the sun. He is holy in his word. The word bears a stamp on his holiness upon it, as the wax bears an impression of the seal. The word is very pure. Psalms 119, verse 140. It is compared to silver refined seven times. Psalms 12, verse 6. Every line in the word breathes sanctity. It encourages nothing but holiness. God is holy in his operations. All he does is holy. He cannot act but like himself. He can no more do an unrighteous action than the sun can darken. The Lord is holy in all his works. Psalms 145, verse 17. 2. God is holy primarily. He is the original and pattern of holiness. Holiness began with him who is the Ancient of Days. 3. God is holy efficiently. He is the cause of all that is holiness in others. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. James chapter 1, verse 17. He made the angels holy. He infused all holiness into Christ's human nature. All the holiness we have is but a crystal stream from this fountain. We borrow all our holiness from God. As the lights of the sanctuary were lighted from the middle lamp, so all the holiness of others is a lamp lighted from heaven. I am the Lord which sanctify you. Leviticus chapter 20, verse 8. God is not only a pattern of holiness, but he is a principle of holiness. His spring feeds all our cisterns. He drops his holy oil of grace upon us. 4. God is holy transcendently. There is none holy as the Lord. 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 2. No angel in heaven can take the just dimensions of God's holiness. The highest seraphim is too low of stature to measure these pyramids. Holiness in God is far above holiness in saints or angels. 1. It is above holiness in saints. It is a pure holiness. The saints, holiness is like gold in the ore. Imperfect, their humility is stained with pride. He that has most faith needs pray 
Lord, help my unbelief. But the holiness of God is pure, like wine from the grape. It has not the least dash or tincture of impurity mixed with it. It is a more unchangeable holiness. Though the saints cannot lose the habit of holiness, for the seed of God remains, yet they may lose some degrees of their holiness. Thou hast left thy first love. Revelations chapter 2, verse 4. Grace cannot die, yet the flame of it may go out. Holiness in the saints is subject to ebbing, but holiness in God is unchangeable. He never lost a drop of his holiness, as he cannot have more holiness because he is perfectly holy. So he cannot have less holiness because he is unchangeably holy. 2. The holiness of God is above the holiness of angels. Holiness in the angels is only a quality which may be lost, as we see in the fallen angels. But holiness in God is his essence. He is all over holy, and he can as well lose his Godhead as his holiness. But is he not privy to all the sins of men? How can he behold their impurities and not be defiled? God sees all the sins of men, but is no more defiled with them than the sun is defiled with the vapors that rise from the earth. God sees sin, not as a patron to approve it, but as a judge to punish it. Use 1. Is God so infinitely holy? Then see how unlike to God sin is. Sin is an unclean thing. It is hyperbolically evil. Romans chapter 1, verse 23. It is called an abomination. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 25. God has no mixture of evil in him. Sin has no mixture of good. It is the spirit and quintessence of evil. It turns good into evil. It has deflowered the virgin soul, made it red with guilt and black with filth. It is called the accursed thing. Joshua chapter 7, verse 11. No wonder, therefore, that God hates sin. Being so unlike to him, nay, so contrary to him, it strikes at his holiness. It does all it can to spite God. If sin could help it, God should be God no longer. Use 2. Is God the Holy One, and is holiness his glory? How impious are they that are haters of holiness? As the vulture hates perfumes, so they hate the sweet perfume of holiness in the saints. Their hearts rise against holiness, as a man's stomach at a dish he has an antipathy against. There is not a greater sign of a person devoted to hell than to hate one of the thing wherein he is most like God. Others are despisers of holiness. They despise the glory of the Godhead, glorious in holiness. The despising holiness is seen in deriding it, and is it not sad that men should deride that which should save them? Sure, that patient will die who derides the physic. Deriding the grace of the Spirit comes near to despising the Spirit of grace. Scoffing Ishmael was cast out of Abraham's house. Genesis chapter 21 verse 9. Such as scoff at holiness shall be cast out of heaven. Use 3. Is God so infinitely holy? Then let us endeavor to imitate God in holiness. Be ye holy, for I am holy. First Epistle of Peter, chapter 1, verse 16. There is a twofold holiness, a holiness of equality and a holiness of similitude, a holiness of equality no man or angel can reach to. Who can be equally holy with God? Who can parallel Him in sanctity? But there is a holiness in similitude, and that we must aspire after.
to have some analogy and resemblance of God's holiness in us, to be as like Him in holiness as we can. Though a taper does not give so much light as the sun, yet it resembles it. We must imitate God in holiness. If we must be like God in holiness, wherein does our holiness consist? In two things, in our suitableness to God's nature and in our subjection to His will. Our holiness consists in our suitableness to the nature of God. Hence the saints are said to partake of the divine nature, which is not partaking of His essence, but His image. Second Epistle of Peter, chapter 1, verse 4. Herein is the saints' holiness when they are the lively pictures of God. They bear the image of God's meekness, mercifulness, heavenliness. They are of the same judgment with God, of the same disposition. They love what He loves and hate what He hates. Our holiness consists also in our subjection to the will of God. As God's nature is the pattern of holiness, so His will is the rule of holiness. It is our holiness when we do His will, Acts chapter 13, verse 22, when we bear His will, Micah chapter 7, verse 9. When what He inflicts wisely we suffer willingly, our great care should be to be like God in holiness. Our holiness should be qualified as God's, as His is a real holiness, ours should be. Righteousness and true holiness. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 24. It should not be the paint of holiness, but the life. It should not be like the Egyptian temples, beautified without merely, but like Solomon's temple, gold within. Psalms 45, verse 13. The king's daughter is all glorious within. That I may press you to resemble God in holiness. Consider. 1. How illustrious every holy person is. He is a fair glass in which some of the beams of God's holiness shine forth. We read that Aaron put on his garments for glory and beauty. Exodus chapter 28, verse 2. When we wear the embroidered garment of holiness, it is for glory and beauty. A good Christian is ruddy, being sprinkled with Christ's blood, and white, being adorned with holiness. As the diamond to a ring, so is holiness to the soul. That, as Chrysostom says, they that oppose it cannot but admire it. 2. It is the great design God carries on in the world to make people like Himself in holiness. What are the showers of ordinances for but to rain down righteousness upon us and make us holy? What are the promises for but to encourage holiness? What is the sending of the Spirit into the world for but to anoint us with the holy unction? First Epistle of John, chapter 2, verse 20. What are all afflictions for but to make us partakers of God's holiness. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 10. What are mercies for, but lodestones to draw us to holiness? What is the end of Christ's dying, but that His blood might wash away our unholiness? Who gave Himself for us to purify into Himself a peculiar people? Titus chapter 2, verse 14. So that if we are not holy, we cross God's great design in the world. 3. Our holiness draws God's heart to us. Holiness is God's image, and God cannot choose but love His image where He sees it. A king loves to see his effigies upon a piece of coin. Thou lovest righteousness. Psalms 45, 
verse 7. And where does righteousness grow but in a holy heart? Isaiah chapter 62, verse 4. Thou shalt be called Hephzibah, for the Lord delighteth in thee. It was her holiness that drew God's love to her. They shall call them the holy people. Verse 12. God values not any by their high birth, but their holiness. 4. Holiness is the only thing that distinguishes us from the reprobate part of the world. God's people have his seal upon them. The foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal. The Lord knoweth them that are his. And let all that name the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Second Epistle to Timothy, chapter 2, verse 19. The people of God are sealed with a double seal. Election, the Lord knows who are his, and sanctification. Let everyone depart from iniquity. As a nobleman is distinguished from another by his silver star, as a virtuous woman is distinguished from a harlot by her chastity, so holiness distinguishes between the two seeds. All that are of God have Christ for their captain, and holiness is the white color they wear. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10. 5. Holiness is our honor. Holiness and honor are put together. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 4. Dignity goes along with sanctification. He has washed us from our sins in His blood, and has made us kings unto God. Revelations chapter 1, verse 5. When we are washed and made holy, then we are kings and priests to God. The saints are called vessels of honor. They are called jewels for the sparkling of their holiness, because filled with the wine of the Spirit. This makes them earthly angels. 6. Holiness gives us boldness with God. Thou shalt put away iniquity far from thy tabernacles, and shalt lift up thy face unto God. Job chapter 22, verse 23 and 26. Lifting up the face is an emblem of boldness. Nothing can make us so ashamed to go to God as sin. A wicked man in prayer may lift up his hands, but he cannot lift up his face. When Adam had lost his holiness, he lost his confidence. He hid himself. But the holy person goes to God as a child to his father. His conscience does not upbraid him with allowing any sin. Therefore, he can go boldly to the throne of grace and have mercy to help him in time of need. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. 7. Holiness gives peace. Sin raises a storm in the conscience. Ubi peccatum ibi prosela. Where there is sin, there is tumult. There is no peace to the wicked. Isaiah chapter 57, verse 21. Righteousness and peace are put together. Holiness is the root which bears this sweet fruit of peace. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. 8. Holiness leads to heaven. It is the king of heaven's highway. An highway shall be there, and it shall be called the way of holiness. Isaiah chapter 35, verse 8. At Rome there were temples of virtue and honor, and all were to go through the temple of virtue to the temple of honor. So we must go through the temple of holiness to the temple of heaven. Glory begins at virtue. Who has called us to glory and virtue? Second Epistle of Peter, chapter 1, verse 3. Happiness is nothing else but the quintessence of holiness. Happiness is glory militant, and happiness, holiness, triumphant. What shall we do to resemble God in holiness?
1. Have recourse to Christ's blood by faith. This is a lavacrum animae, the washing of the soul. Legal purifications were types and emblems of it. First Epistle of John, chapter 1, verse 7. The Word is a glass to show us our spots, and Christ's blood is a fountain to wash them away. 2. Pray for a holy heart. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Psalms 51, verse 10. Lay thy heart before the Lord, and say, Lord, my heart is full of leprosy. It defiles all it touches. Lord, I am not fit to live with such a heart, for I cannot honor thee, nor die with such a heart, for I cannot see thee. O create in me a clean heart. Send thy Spirit unto me. Refine and purify me, that I may be a temple fit for thee, the holy God, to inhabit. 3. Walk with them that are holy. He that walketh with the wise shall be wise. Proverb 13, verse 20. Be among the spices, and you will smell of them. Association begets assimilation. Nothing has a greater power and energy to affect holiness than the communion of saints. 33. Sanctification. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification. First Epistle to Thessalonians, chapter 4, verse 3. The word sanctification signifies to consecrate and set apart to a holy use. Thus, they are sanctified persons who are separated from the world and set apart for God's service. Sanctification has a privative and a positive part. 1. A privative part, which lies in the purging out of sin. Sin is compared to leaven, which sours, and to leprosy, which defiles. Sanctification purges out the old leaven. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. Though it takes not away the life, yet it takes away the love of sin. 2. A positive part, which is the spiritual refining of the soul, which in Scripture is called a renewing of our mind. Romans chapter 12, verse 2, and a partaking of the divine nature. Second Epistle of Peter, chapter 1, verse 4. The priests in the law were not only washed in the great laver, but adorned with glorious apparel. Exodus chapter 28, verse 2. So sanctification not only washes from sin, but adorns with purity. What is sanctification? It is a principle of grace, savingly wrought, whereby the heart becomes holy and is made after God's own heart. A sanctified person bears not only God's name, but his image. In opening the nature of sanctification, I shall lay down these seven positions. 1. Sanctification is a supernatural thing. It is divinely infused. We are naturally polluted, and to cleanse, God takes to be his prerogative. I am the Lord which sanctify you. Leviticus chapter 21, verse 8. Weeds grow of themselves. Flowers are planted. Sanctification is a flower of the Spirit's planting. Therefore it is called the sanctification of the Spirit. First Epistle of Peter, chapter 1, verse 2. 2. Sanctification is an intrinsic thing. It lies chiefly in the heart. It is called the adorning hidden man of the heart. First Epistle of Peter, chapter 3, verse 4. The dew wets the leaf. The sap is hid in the root. So, the religion of some consists only in externals, but sanctification is deeply rooted in the soul. In the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Psalms 51, verse 6. 3. Sanctification 
is an extensive thing. It spreads into the whole man. The God of peace sanctify you wholly. First Epistle to Thessalonians, chapter 5, verse 1. As original corruption has depraved all the faculties, the whole head is sick, the whole heart faint, no part sound, as if the whole mass of blood were corrupted. So sanctification goes over the whole soul. After the fall, there was ignorance in the mind. But in sanctification, we are light in the Lord. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8. After the fall, the will was depraved. There was not only impotence to good, but obstinacy. In sanctification, there is a blessed pliableness in the will. It symbolizes and comports with the will of God. After the fall, the affections were misplaced on wrong objects. In sanctification, they are turned into a sweet order and harmony. The grief placed on sin, the love on God, the joy on heaven. Thus sanctification spreads itself as far as original corruption. It goes over the whole soul. The God of peace sanctify you wholly. It is not a sanctified person who is good only in some part, but who is all over sanctified. Therefore, in Scripture, grace is called a new man, not a new eye or a new tongue, but a new man. Colossians chapter 3, verse 10. A good Christian, though he be sanctified but in part, yet in every part. 4. Sanctification is an intense and ardent thing. Qualitates sunt in subjecto intensive. Its properties burn within the believer. Fervent in spirit. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Sanctification is not a dead form, but it is inflamed into zeal. We call water hot when it is so in the third or fourth degree, and his heart boils over in love to God. 5. Sanctification is a beautiful thing. It makes God and angels fall in love with us. The beauties of holiness. Psalms 110, verse 3. As the sun is to the world, so is sanctification to the soul, beautifying and bespangling it in God's eyes. That which makes God glorious must needs make us so. Holiness is the most sparkling jewel in the Godhead. Glorious in holiness. Exodus chapter 15, verse 11. Sanctification is the first fruit of the Spirit. It is heaven begun in the soul. Sanctification and glory differ only in degree. Sanctification is glory in the seed, and glory is sanctification in the flower. Holiness is the quintessence of happiness. 6. Sanctification is an abiding thing. His seed remaineth in him. First Epistle of John, chapter 3, verse 9. He who is truly sanctified cannot fall from that state. Indeed, seeming holiness may be lost, colors may wash off, sanctification may suffer an eclipse. Thou hast left thy first love. Revelations chapter 2, verse 4. True sanctification is a blossom of eternity. The anointing which you have received abideth in you. First Epistle of John, chapter 2, verse 27. He who is truly sanctified can no more fall away than the angels which are fixed in their heavenly orbs. 7. Sanctification is a progressive thing. It is growing. It is compared to seed which grows. First the blade springs up, then the ear, then the ripe corn in the ear. Such as are already sanctified may be more sanctified. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1. Justification does not admit of degrees. A believer cannot be more elected or justified than he is. 
but he may be more sanctified than he is. Sanctification is still increasing, like the morning sun, which grows brighter to the full meridian. Knowledge is said to increase, and faith to increase. Colossians chapter 1, verse 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 15. A Christian is continually adding a cubit to his spiritual stature. It is not with us as it was with Christ, who received the Spirit without measure, for Christ could not be more holy than he was. We have the Spirit only in measure, and may be still augmenting our grace, as Apelles, when he had drawn a picture, would still be mending it with his pencil. The image of God is drawn but imperfectly in us. Therefore, we must be still mending it, and drawing it in more lively colors. Sanctification is progressive. If it does not grow, it is because it does not live. Thus, you see the nature of sanctification. What are the counterfeits of sanctification? There are things which look like sanctification but are not. 1. The first counterfeit of sanctification is moral virtue. To be just, to be temperate, to be of a fair deportment, not to have one's escutcheon blotted with ignominious scandal is good, but not enough. It is not sanctification. A field flower differs from a garden flower. Heathens have attained to morality, as Cato, Socrates, and Aristides. Civility is but nature refined. There is nothing of Christ there, and the heart may be foul and impure. Under these fair leaves of civility, the worm of unbelief may be hid. A moral person has a secret antipathy against grace. He hates vice, and he hates grace as much as vice. The snake has a fine color, but a sting. A person adorned and cultivated with moral virtue has a secret spleen against sanctity. The Stoics, who were the chief of the moralized heathens, were the bitterest enemies Paul had. Acts chapter 17, verse 18. 2. The second counterfeit of sanctification is superstitious devotion. This abounds in popery, adorations, images, altars, vestments, and holy water, which I look upon as a religious frenzy and is far from sanctification. It does not put any intrinsic goodness into a man. It does not make a man better. If the legal purifications and washings, which were God's own appointing, did not make those who used them more holy, and the priests, who wore only holy garments and had oil poured on them, were not more holy without anointing of the Spirit, then surely those superstitious innovations in religion, which God never appointed, cannot contribute any holiness to men. A superstitious holiness costs no great labor. There is nothing of the heart in it. If to tell over a few beads, or bow to an image, or sprinkle themselves with holy water for sanctification, and all that is required of them that should be saved, then hell would be empty. None would come there. 3. The third counterfeit of sanctification is hypocrisy, when men make a pretense of that holiness which they have not. As a comet may shine like a star, a luster may shine from their profession that dazzles the eyes of the beholders, having a form of godliness, but denying the power. Second Epistle to Timothy, chapter 3, verse 5. These are lamps without oil, whited sepulchres, like the Egyptian temples which had fair outsides, but within spiders and apes. The Apostle speaks of true holiness. Ephesians, chapter 4, verse 24 implying that there is holiness which is spurious and feigned. Thou hast a name to live, but art dead. Revelations chapter 3, verse 1.
like pictures and statues which are destitute of a vital principle. Clouds without water. Jude, chapter 12. They pretend to be full of the Spirit, but are empty clouds. This show of sanctification is a self-delusion. He who takes copper instead of gold wrongs himself. The most counterfeit saint deceives others while he lives, but deceives himself when he dies. To pretend to holiness when there is none is a vain thing. What were the foolish virgins better for their blazing lamps when they wanted oil? What is the lamp of profession without the oil of saving grace? What comfort will a show of holiness yield at last? Will painted gold enrich, painted wine refresh him that is thirsty, or painted holiness be a cordial at the hour of death? A pretense of sanctification is not to be rested in. Many ships that have the name of the hope, the safeguard, the triumph, have been cast away upon rocks. So many who have had the name of saints have been cast into hell. 4. The fourth counterfeit of sanctification is restraining grace, when men forbear vice, though they do not hate it. This may be the sinner's motto. Fain I would, but I dare not. The dog has a mind to the bone, but is afraid of the cudgel. So men have a mind to lust, but conscience stands as the angel with a flaming sword and affrights. They have a mind to revenge, but the fear of hell is a curb bit to check them. There is no change of heart. Sin is curbed, but not cured. A lion may be in chains, but is a lion still. 5. The fifth counterfeit of sanctification is common grace, which is a slight transient work of the Spirit, but does not amount to conversion. There is some light in the judgment, but it is not humbling, some cheeks in the conscience, but they are not awakening. This looks like sanctification, but is not. Men have convictions wrought in them, but they break loose from them again, like the deer which being shot shakes out the arrow. After conviction, men go into the house of mirth, take the harp to drive away the spirit of sadness, and so all dies and comes to nothing. Wherein appears the necessity of sanctification? In six things. 1. God has called us to it, who has called us to glory and virtue. Second Epistle of Peter chapter 1 verse 3 to virtue as well as glory. God has not called us to uncleanness, but unto holiness. First Epistle to Thessalonians, chapter 4, verse 7. We have no call to sin. We may have a temptation, but no call. No call to be proud or unclean, but we have a call to be holy. 2. Without sanctification, there is no evidencing our justification. Justification and sanctification go together but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11. Pardoning iniquity. Micah chapter 7, verse 18. There is justification. He will subdue our iniquities. Chapter 5, verse 19. There is sanctification. Out of Christ's side came blood and water. John chapter 19, verse 34. Blood for justification. Water for sanctification. Such as have not the water out of Christ's side to cleanse them, shall never have the blood out of his side to save them. 3. Without sanctification we have no title to the new covenant. The covenant of grace is our charter for heaven. The tenure of the covenant is that God will be our God. But who are interested in the covenant and may plead the benefit of it? 
sanctified persons only. A new heart will I give you, and I will put my spirit within you, and I will be your God. Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26. If a man makes a will, but none such persons as are named in it will lay claim to the will, so God makes a will and testament, but is restrained and limited to such as are sanctified, and it is high presumption for anyone else to lay claim to the will. 4. There is no going to heaven without sanctification. Without holiness no man shall see the Lord. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. God is a holy God, and he will suffer no unholy creature to come near him. A king will not suffer a man with plague sores to approach into his presence. Heaven is not like Noah's ark, where the clean beasts and the unclean entered. No unclean beasts come into the heavenly ark. For though God suffer the wicked to live a while on the earth, he will never suffer heaven to be pestered with such vermin. Are they fit to see God who wallow in wickedness? Will God ever lay such vipers in his bosom? Without holiness no man shall see the Lord. It must be a clear eye that sees a bright object. Only a holy heart can see God in his glory. Sinners may see God as an enemy, but not as a friend, may have an affrighting vision of him, but not a beatific vision. They may see the flaming sword, but not the mercy seat. Oh, then, what need is there of sanctification? 5. Without sanctification all our holy things are defiled. Unto them that are defiled is nothing pure. Titus chapter 1, verse 1. Under the law, if a man who was unclean by a dead body carried a piece of holy flesh in his skirt, the holy flesh would not cleanse him, but it would be polluted by him. Haggai chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. This is an emblem of a sinner's polluting his holy offering. A foul stomach turns the best food into ill humors, so an unsanctified heart pollutes prayers, alms, sacraments. This evinces the necessity of sanctification. Sanctification makes our holy things accepted. A holy heart is the altar which sanctifies the offering, if not to satisfaction, to acceptation. 6. Without sanctification we can show no sign of our election. Second Epistle to Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. Election is the cause of our salvation. Sanctification is our evidence. Sanctification is the earmark of Christ's elect sheep. What are the signs of sanctification? First, such as are sanctified can remember a time when they were unsanctified. Titus chapter 3, verse 3. We were in our blood, and then God washed us with water and anointed us with oil. Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 9. Those trees of righteousness that blossom and bear almonds can remember when they were like Aaron's dry rod, not one blossom of holiness growing. A sanctified soul can remember when it was estranged from God through ignorance and vanity, and when free grace planted this flower of holiness in it. A second sign of sanctification is the indwelling of the Spirit, the Holy Ghost which dwelleth in us. Second Epistle to Timothy Chapter 1, verse 14. As the unclean spirit dwells in the wicked and carries them to pride, lust, revenge, the devil enters into these swine. Acts chapter 5, verse 3. So the Spirit of God dwells in the elect as their guide and comforter. The Spirit possesses the saints. God's Spirit sanctifies the fancy, causing it to mint holy thoughts, 
and sanctifies the will by putting a new bias upon it, whereby it is inclined to good. He who is sanctified has the influence of the Spirit, though not the essence. A third sign of sanctification is an antipathy against sin. Psalms 119, verse 104. A hypocrite may leave sin, yet love it, as a serpent casts its coat, but keeps its sting. But a sanctified person can say he not only leaves sin, but loathes it. As there are antipathies in nature between the vine and the laurel, so in a sanctified soul there is a holy antipathy against sin, and antipathies can never be reconciled. Because a man has an antipathy against sin, he cannot but oppose it, and seek the destruction of it. A fourth sign of sanctification is a spiritual performance of duties with the heart and from a principle of love. The sanctified soul prays out of a love to prayer and calls the Sabbath a delight. Isaiah chapter 58 verse 13. A man may have gifts to admiration. He may speak as an angel dropped out of heaven. Yet he may be carnal in spiritual things. His services may not come from a renewed principle nor be carried upon the wings of delight and duty. A sanctified soul worships God in the Spirit. First Epistle of Peter, chapter 2, verse 5. God judges not of our duties by their length, but by the love from which they spring. A fifth sign is a well-ordered life. Be ye holy in all manner of conversation. First Epistle of Peter, chapter 1, verse 15. Where the heart is sanctified, the life will be so too. The temple had gold without as well as within. As in a piece of coin, there is not only the king's image within the ring, but his superscription without. So, where there is sanctification, there is not only God's image in the heart, but a superscription of holiness written in the life. Some say they have good hearts, but their lives are vicious. There is a generation that are pure in their own eyes, and yet is not washed from their filthiness. Proverbs 30 Verse 12. If the water be foul in the bucket, it cannot be clean in the well. The king's daughter is all glorious within. Psalms 45, verse 13. There is holiness of heart. Her clothing is of wrought gold. There is holiness of life. Grace is most beautiful when its light so shines that others may see it. This adorns religion and makes proselytes to the faith. A sixth sign is steadfast resolution. He is resolved never to part with his holiness. Let others reproach it, he loves it the more. Let water be sprinkled on the fire, it burns the more. He says, as David, when Michael reproached him for dancing before the ark, If this be to be vile, I will yet be more vile. 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 22. Let others persecute him for his holiness, he says as Paul. None of these things move me. Acts chapter 20, verse 24. He prefers sanctity before safety, and had rather keep his conscience pure than his skin whole. He says as Job, My integrity I will hold fast, and not let it go. Chapter 27, verse 6. He will rather part with his life than his conscience. Use 1. The main thing a Christian should look after is sanctification. This is the unum necessarium, the one thing needful. Sanctification is our purest complexion. It makes us, as the heaven, bespangled with stars. It is our nobility. By it we are born of God, and partake of the divine nature. 
It is our riches, therefore compared to rows of jewels and chains of gold. Canticles chapter 1 verse 10. It is our best certificate for heaven. What evidence have we else to show? Have we knowledge? So has the devil. Do we profess religion? Satan often appears in Samuel's mantle, and transforms himself into an angel of light. But our certificate for heaven is sanctification. Sanctification is the first fruits of the Spirit, the only coin that will pass current in the other world. Sanctification is the evidence of God's love. We cannot know God's love by giving us health, riches, success, but by drawing His image of sanctification on us by the pencil of the Holy Ghost, it is known. Oh, the misery of such as are destitute of a principle of sanctification! They are spiritually dead. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. Though they breathe, yet they do not live. The greatest part of the world remains unsanctified. The world lies in wickedness. First Epistle of John, chapter 5, verse 19. That is, the major part of the world. Many call themselves Christians, but blot out the word saints. You may as well call him a man who wants reason as him a Christian who wants grace. Nay, which is worse, some are buoyed up to such a height of wickedness that they hate and deride sanctification. They hate it. It is bad to want it. It is worse to hate it. They embrace the form of religion, but hate the power. The vulture hates sweet smells. So do they the perfumes of holiness. They say in derision, These are your holy ones. To deride sanctification argues a high degree of atheism, and is a black brand of reprobation. Scoffing Ishmael was cast out of Abraham's family. Genesis chapter 21 verse 9. Of such as scoff at holiness shall be cast out of heaven. Use 2. Above all things pursue after sanctification. Seek grace more than gold. Keep her, for she is thy life. Proverbs 4, verse 13. What are the chief inducements to sanctification? 1. It is the will of God that we should be holy, as saith the text. This is the will of God, your sanctification. As God's word must be the rule, so his will the reason of our actions. This is the will of God, our sanctification. Perhaps it is not the will of God we should be rich, but it is the will of God that we should be holy. God's will is our warrant. 2. Jesus Christ has died for our sanctification. Christ shed his blood to wash off our impurity. The cross was both an altar and a laver. Who gave himself for us to redeem us from all iniquity? Titus chapter 2, verse 14. If we could be saved without holiness, Christ needed not have died. Christ died not only to save us from wrath, but from sin. 3. Sanctification makes us resemble God. It was Adam's sin that he aspired to be like God in omniscience, but we must endeavor to be like him in sanctity. It is a clear glass in which we can see a face. It is a holy heart in which something of God can be seen. Nothing of God can be seen in an unsanctified man, but you may see Satan's picture in him. Envy is the devil's eye, hypocrisy his cloven foot, but nothing of God's image can be seen in him. 4. Sanctification is that which God bears a great love to, not any outward ornaments, high blood, or worldly grandeur draws God's love, 
but a heart embellished with holiness does. Christ never admired anything but the beauty of holiness. He slighted the glorious buildings of the temple, but admired the woman's faith, and said, O woman, great is thy faith. Amor fundator similitudine. As a king delights to see his image upon a piece of coin, so where God sees his likeness, he gives his love. The Lord has two heavens to dwell in, and the holy heart is one of them. 5. Sanctification is the only thing that makes us differ from the wicked. God's people have his seal upon them. The foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his. And let every one that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Second Epistle to Timothy, chapter 2, verse 19. The godly are scaled with a double seal, a seal of election, the Lord knoweth who are his, and a seal of sanctification. Let every one that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. This is the name by which God's people are known, the people of thy holiness. Isaiah chapter 63, verse 18. As chastity distinguishes a virtuous woman from a harlot, so sanctification distinguishes God's people from others. Ye have received an unction from the Holy One. First Epistle of John, chapter 2, verse 20. 6. It is as great a shame to have the name of a Christian, yet want sanctity, as to have the name of a steward, and want fidelity, or the name of a virgin, and want chastity. It exposes religion to reproach, to be baptized into the name of Christ while unholy, and to have eyes full of tears on a Sabbath, and on a weekday eyes full of adultery. Second Epistle of Peter, chapter 2, verse 14, to be so devout at the Lord's table as if men were stepping into heaven, and so profane the week after, as if they came out of hell, to have the name of Christians while unholy is a scandal to religion, and makes the ways of God evil spoken of. 7. Sanctification fits for heaven. Who has called us to glory and virtue? Second Epistle of Peter, chapter 1, verse 3. Glory is the throne, and sanctification is the step by which we ascend to it. As you first cleanse the vessel, and then pour in the wine, so God first cleanses us by sanctification, and then pours in the wine of glory. Solomon was first anointed with oil, and then was a king. First Kings chapter 1, verse 39. First God anoints us with the holy oil of His Spirit, and then sets the crown of happiness upon our head. Pureness of heart and seeing God are linked together. Matthew chapter 5, verse 8. How may sanctification be attained? 1. Be conversant in the Word of God. Sanctify them through thy truth. John chapter 17, verse 17. The Word is both a glass to show us the spots of our soul, and a laver to wash them away. The Word has a transforming virtue in it. It irradiates the mind and consecrates the heart. 2. Get faith in Christ's blood. Having purified their hearts by faith, Acts chapter 15, verse 9, she in the gospel who touched the hem of Christ's garment was healed. A touch of faith purifies. Nothing can have a greater force upon the heart to sanctify it than faith. If I believe Christ and his merits are mine, how can I sin against him? Justifying faith does that in a spiritual sense which miraculous faith does. It removes mountains, 
the mountains of pride, lust, envy, and faith, and the love of sin, are inconsistent. 3. Breathe after the Spirit. It is called the sanctification of the Spirit. Second Epistle to Thessalonians, chapter 2, verse 13. The Spirit sanctifies the heart, as lightning purifies the air, and as fire refines metals. Omne agents generat sibi simile. The Spirit at work generates its own likeness everywhere. The Spirit stamps the impression of its own sanctity upon the heart, as the seal prints its likeness upon the wax. The Spirit of God in a man perfumes him with holiness, and makes his heart a map of heaven. 4. Associate with sanctified persons. They may, by their counsel, prayers, and holy example, be a means to make you holy. As the communion of saints is in our creed, so it should be in our company. He that walketh with the wise shall be wise. Proverbs 13, verse 20. Association begets assimilation. 5. Pray for sanctification. Job propounds a question. Who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean? Job chapter 14, verse 4. God can do it. Out of an unholy heart, he can produce grace. Oh, make David's prayer your own. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Psalms 51, verse 10. Lay thy heart before the Lord, and say, Lord, my unsanctified heart pollutes all it touches. I am not fit to live with such a heart, for I cannot honor thee, nor die with such a heart, for I cannot see thee. O create in me a new heart. Lord, consecrate my heart, and make it thy temple, and thy praises shall be sung there forever. Use 3. Has God brought a clean thing out of an unclean? Has he sanctified you? Wear this jewel of sanctification with thankfulness, giving thanks to the Father who has made us meet for the inheritance, etc. Colossians chapter 1, verse 12. Christian, thou couldst defile thyself, but not sanctify thyself, but God has done it. He has not only chained up sin, but changed thy nature, and made thee as a king's daughter, all glorious within. He has put upon thee the breastplate of holiness, which, though it may be shot at, can never be shot through. Are there any here that are sanctified? God has done more for you than millions who may be illumined, but are not sanctified. He has done more for you than if he had made you the sons of princes, and caused you to ride upon the high places of the earth. Are you sanctified? Heaven is begun in you, for happiness is nothing but the quintessence of holiness. Oh, how thankful should you be to God! Do as that blind man in the gospel did after he had received his sight, who followed Christ, glorifying God. Luke chapter 18, verse 43. Make heaven ring with God's praises.